in our series, Following Jesus, a pilgrim's progress through all of life's life's opportunities, challenges, and blessings. This week, we are looking at God's gracious gift of justification by faith. That's a bit of a mouthful. (laughs) But we'll see that it is God's grace, his gift, and we'll see about justification by faith. One of the topics that's coming up in the news more and more is that some people want to erase all their data that's on the internet. On social media accounts, there might be things that they posted long ago that really they're a bit embarrassed about now. Things they've said on forums, (coughs) or there might be some very unflattering images or very private images that for some reason are circulating the web. And they don't want them there. They want to erase all of that. You can delete your Facebook profile. You can maybe unsubscribe from email accounts and forums. But in order to get rid of it all, you need to start ask Google to delete everything that's related to you because of privacy. But no matter how much you try and do that, always lurking somewhere, there's archives or there's other search engines which which bring up all this information. You can never get rid of it completely, no matter how hard you try. If only there was someone of overall control, we might think, who could just erase all of our history, all of the stuff against us. Imagine we could do the same with our sin. Many people are trying to erase their sin from the past. They're trying to be a better person so that maybe the good they do now will be what people see rather than the things of the past. They try and hide away, change friends, go to a different place. and try and say, that's not me anymore. But these things are still there. They're lurking in our pasts. They're, they're skeletons in the cupboards. And no matter how much we try and be religious or good or whatever, while it's good to do good, it's not good enough. We can't undo the past. If only we could have all of our sins deleted, erased, never to haunt us again. Well, that's exactly what happens to us when we place our faith in Jesus. David writes in Psalm 103, For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. As far as the east is from the west, well, that's not East Belfast versus West Belfast. That's just a couple of miles. Or the the east, like Japan from the west, like maybe America, that's several thousand miles. But the east in terms of the universe, from the west in terms of infinity that way versus infinity that way, that's how far God has erased our sins. Completely gone. 
In Isaiah chapter 1, the Lord says, Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Imagine that, our sins erased, deleted forever. Gone. In this look at one of the aspects of following Jesus in our pilgrim's progress we're looking at how we can have our sins forgiven how they are deleted, erased forever well the first thing that we need to realise is that to realise our need we need to see our need before we depend on God's grace In our reading from the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18, we see two men who came to God, both entered the temple as sinners, but one left justified before God. The Pharisee stood and prayed to himself. The text tells us, and some versions put it in a footnote, some versions put it in the main text, that he prayed to himself. He prayed with himself. Have you ever tried to to talk to somebody on the phone years ago and the line was dead or you want to talk to somebody on your mobile and you've got no signal imagine having a conversation anyway when there's no signal there's nobody on the other end well that's what this man was doing praying to himself telling God how good he thought he was God wasn't hearing He tried to tell God how good he was about all the good things he had done and he assumed God would be very pleased with him. After all, he was better than many people. He was more religious. He did a lot of good. Although he might have been able to convince some people, even all the people some of the time, you can't convince God. He knows our past. He knows what we do in secret. He knows the thoughts in our hearts. He knew that this Pharisee wasn't as good as he was making out. We might be able to deceive others at times. We might even deceive ourselves if we're really good people. But God knows the truth, that each of us is a sinner. Into the temple comes another man, the tax collector. Tax collectors in Jesus' day were... A bit like during the Second World War in France, you had collaborators, those who sold out their own countrymen and women for money. They collaborated with the Germans. They were despised among their own people. So too, the tax collectors collaborated with the Romans to extort money out of the Jews to collect the tax that the Romans put upon them. And they took more off the top as well. They, they, they got more out of the people and kept whatever they would like themselves. As long as the Romans got paid, they didn't care how much they extorted on top of that from their own people. Tax collectors were despised. Probably even more than drug dealers today. Or even child abusers, maybe. They were in that category, Certainly. Imagine two people came into church 
One of them is very respectable and does a lot of good work and so proud of how good they are and how well people think of them. And, and another person is an abuser who comes into church. Who is more accepted by God? The person who tries to tell God how good they are or the, the abuser who comes and says, Lord, I know I've sinned. Have mercy upon me. Well, that's what happened. This man came with a heavy conscience and yet he knew more about God than the Pharisee. The Pharisees were well known for, for knowing God's law inside out. They made new laws to try and be more particular about keeping God's law. But this man, this tax collector, he knew that God was forgiving. He knew that God was gracious. He knew that God would forgive him if he came and asked for mercy. These two people represent two different ways to try and get right with God. The first is to try and get right with God by obeying his law. It's all about obedience. And the thing about law before God is not quite like going the law in terms of the state here. The civil governments, if you're up in court, you're only up for one thing, the thing that you're accused of. And if you're found not guilty on that thing, you're acquitted. What the courts don't look at is all the other things you've done. They just look at the one thing you're charged with. But when we stand before God, he looks at all the things we've done. And he knows that no matter how good we might be compared to others, each one of us has, has sinned. If we fail just once, we're a sinner. And yet we do far more than that. That's why Paul describes this way of living in Romans 6 as living under law. We're trying to be right with God by keeping his law. But the second way to be right with God is to give up flogging that dead horse. To give up trying to be good enough because we've already failed. And we can't undo that. Instead we need to come to God through faith in Jesus and to relate to him according to his grace. To relate to him under grace rather than under law. And this tax collector knew that he could come to God because of grace and because of mercy. Have you ever wondered why Paul wrote at the end of that list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5? He writes, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. That's a bit of an odd statement to make. But once you understand what Paul is doing here, his bigger argument, it's actually very logical. He's talking to the Galatians who are trying to be right with God by keeping the law. And they're saying, you've got to do this, that, and the other in order to be right with God. If you keep the law, if you do everything you're meant to, you'll be okay. 
But Paul goes on to show that in ourselves we cannot do that. But in the Spirit we can do these things. In ourselves, if we're trying to relate to God under law, we fail. But if in the Spirit we relate to God under grace, we don't need to we don't need the law any longer in that sense. Because he says no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. One of the purposes of the law is to show us, theologians tells us tell us how sinful we are. The law holds a mirror up to us and says, How good are you? It shows how short we have fallen from God's perfect standard. When Jesus was talking to an expert in the law, he thought he was good enough. And Jesus held up the example of the Good Samaritan. Have you loved your neighbor really the way you ought to? And the guy realized he hadn't. Or the rich young ruler who thought, I've done everything. I've kept all the commandments. And Jesus says, well, hold on. What about love of the first commandment? Love God and have no other idols or anything else before him. What about your money? Do you idolize your money? And he says, well, go and sell all your, give away all your money, sell all you have, give away your money, and then come and follow me. Now, we don't have to do that as Christians, but Jesus was just doing that between, just for this one person, just to show him that his heart was idolatrous. He was covetous of his money more than God. He wanted to hold on to his money more than follow Jesus. So he hadn't kept the law. This Pharisee was using the law wrongly to try and tell God how good he was. No one is righteous on their own. The law simply tells us and shows us how this is true. Let's look at it another way. In Romans 1 to 2, Paul describes everyone as belonging to one of three different categories of people or having parts of three different types of people in each of us. He firstly describes the openly ungodly. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. And yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Do you know people like that? People who are openly sinful. They're unashamed in their sinfulness. They don't care what other people think. And the only thing that seems to give them joy is either doing these things or getting more people in to join them and do them as well. Paul says that they know that they're doing wrong 
And yet they do these things anyway. They judge themselves. And then there's the second type of person, the morally superior person. Now, this is not simply a way of describing the people who are looking down on others. They're just simply better people. They're good people. Paul is describing the nice people in the world. Sometimes they look judgmentally down on those who are not as good. But very often they're just going about their business being trying to be nice people. But yet, Paul says, you may think that you can condemn such people as the openly ungodly, but you're just as bad because you have no excuse. When you say that they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do the very same things yourselves. Paul is showing us that we're actually not just under God's judgment, we're under our own judgment. Those who are openly ungodly, they judge themselves, they know what's wrong, and they don't care. And those who are morally superior, they know that these people are doing wrong, and yet they've still got sin in their own lives. So when they're judging them, they're judging themselves. Doesn't matter how good people are, they're still not perfect. J.B. Priestley wrote a play called An Inspector Calls. And in it, an inspector calls to a family, a middle class family who is, by all impressions, very upright. Haven't done a thing wrong, they're pillars of society. And yet, as he goes through each one of them, He's trying to find out the, the, the circumstances of the, of a death of a, of a young woman. And each one in the family has a role in her demise, in her death. And he shows through the interaction of each person in that family that they weren't as good as they were, would like others to think. That they had secrets, they had skeletons in their cupboards. And one by one, he opens up these cupboards and shows that even the point is that even those who look respectable on the outside they're all sinners, we're all sinners even those who are morally superior have sinned Paul's point isn't to focus on the amount of sin, his point is to say we're all in the same boat we've all sinned whether a lot or a little There's a third group of people, those who are privileged with God's word. The Jews had God's word, the Old Testament, the law of Moses that they prided themselves in having. They were special. They had been privileged without doubt. They had the special word of God, the special revelation. Everyone knows God's word, God's law written in their hearts, our conscience confirms that but the Jews had the scriptures just like Christians today we have the extended scriptures of both Old and New Testament we have the full scriptures but does that help us if somebody goes to church and prides themselves in having a Bible that doesn't make them a better person in fact it only makes us more responsible because we know better Paul says you're so proud of knowing the law, 
but you dishonor God by breaking it. His conclusion is that all have sinned. And there's something of all three of those groups of people in each one of us, at different times in our lives maybe. Sometimes we've sinned when we, we know we've been doing wrong and we've done it anyway. At other times we've, we've been good, we've been charitable, and we've been trying to convince ourselves that we're okay now. But we still sin. At other times we, we go to God's word and we say, we've got God's word, we're special. We're... But no, God's word on its own does not make us more righteous. All have sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. The Pharisee didn't understand that, but the tax collector did. Paul concludes, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. If we're trying to relate to God under law, it only shows us how sinful we are. But if we have come to God under grace, if we're walking in the Spirit, if we're not relying on law but relying on grace, then we produce the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. And against such things there is no law. The law is there to show sin for what it is. When it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, the law doesn't need to show that that is wrong because it's not wrong. That's what Paul means at the end of that verse in Galatians 5. But even though none of us is righteous, there is hope. We can be justified by God's grace through faith in Jesus. God has provided a saviour, a way of salvation. He's provided a different way to be justified, not under law, but under grace. As if we had never sinned. Someone has described justification by faith as it's, a, it's just as if we had never sinned. Listen to what Paul writes just after that verse that we've just read. He writes, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. This way was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Or to use a different translation in that last verse, people are justified by faith in Christ, his shed blood for us. Isaiah said long ago of Jesus in Isaiah 53, Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. 
and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole, he was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Jesus on the cross took our sin. He suffered the death, the punishment that we should suffer in eternity. And he did it to save us. The Reformation 500 years ago recovered this glorious truth that is simply by faith alone that we receive the gift of forgiveness. People have been trying, and people still are today, too many people, trying to get right with God by what they can do themselves. But that's like having a disabled person who can't, run, can't even walk trying to do the marathon on their own without any help it doesn't matter how much they try or motivate themselves or feel I can do this they can't and yet some people are saying well it's not just about works, what you can do yourself keeping the law in your own strength maybe Jesus helps you a bit Imagine there was a, you'd have an, an Olympian athlete, a strong athlete, who would come and carry this person and do the marathon carrying them. But then the person, just within sight of the, the finishing line, says, no, hold on, let me down. I want to finish the rest myself. And they struggle, and they just can't get anywhere. Well, that's what it's like trying to mix faith with works if it's left to us in any degree at all the whole thing collapses it has to be all of grace all by faith and we should humble ourselves and let Jesus carry us over the finishing line and simply be grateful and thankful to him God saved you by his grace when you believed And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, even in the slightest. And yet this Pharisee was trying to boast before God about all the things he had done. He knew he was... The tax collector was was more astute. He knew more about God and about himself. And he knew the boasting was futile. He knew that he was unrighteous before God and that he had sinned. And we need to come to to be in the same position as that tax collector before God. Before we can accept, before we can experience the grace of God. We need to see that all our good works are nothing. None of them are good enough we need to have a perfect record of never having sinned once and none of us have that it's only when we give up trying to be self-righteous before God that we can 
humble ourselves and simply accept the gift of God's grace through faith. It's only then that we are ready to see Jesus on the cross. It's only then that the cross makes sense. I remember somebody a good number of years ago saying, and uh, it wasn't a context where I could actually engage in a conversation. It was, they were simply expressing a question, not looking for an answer. They were saying, why did the Father let Jesus suffer on the cross? Why? They had no idea as to why Jesus needed to suffer. They thought they were a good enough person. If I'm a good enough person, well, why does Jesus die on the cross? There's many people going to church today who are coming to God and saying, I'm, I'm a righteous person. Look, I'm even going to church. In the past, people went to church to try and maybe get their sins absolved. But now people are going to church, far too many who don't even acknowledge that they have sin at all in their lives. If we're good enough, there was no point in Jesus coming. The very fact that he had to suffer and die on the cross shows that God takes sin that seriously and that is what we need to trust in. And it's only when we see the love of God for us that He sent his one and only son. Jesus willingly went to the cross and suffered in our place out of love for us. And he he offers this to us because of his grace. It's only when, when the fog lifts and we see that we cannot get anywhere on our own, but there's another way, trusting in Jesus, that we can go across that way placing our faith in him. 500 years ago, when Luther rediscovered this truth of justification by faith alone, he described it as the article by which the church stands or falls. And he was right. If we lose this message of justification by faith alone, justification by faith apart from works, as Paul says, we hold the one who is justified by faith apart from works of the law. It's only when we have this gospel that we have a gospel that changes lives. And if we, if we fail on this, if we let go of being justified by faith apart from works, then we don't have a saving message anymore. This is the article by which the church stands or falls. Once we are justified by faith, though, so many other things flow from it. We have, as Paul says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace that that tax collector had when he went home, as Jesus says in that parable, he went home justified. He uses the same word that Paul uses in Romans chapter 3 here. Imagine the peace, that burden of sin lifted, the joy, the reconciliation with the Father. He's now free and able to do by the power of the Spirit all that he should have done, all that he could not do. He is now free by the working of the, the Spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit working within him. 
to be the kind of person he ought to have been, to produce the fruit of the Spirit, to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on in his life. That's what justification by faith brings. We can't get it any other way. We have peace with God, we have joy in our hearts, and we know the love of God poured out towards us. When we believe in his righteousness, given to us as a gift, we are right before God, we have peace with God. The theologians use the word, the imputed righteousness of Christ. And that's just basically a way of saying that our spiritual bank account was in the red. We had a debt we could never pay. But the cross wiped out that debt. But we were given the righteousness of Christ. We have more in our spiritual account. More righteousness than we could ever have dreamed of. We are given the righteousness of Christ as a gift. And when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see the, th- the things we have done. He doesn't see the old us. He sees the righteousness of Christ. When the Father looks at us, he looks at us with joy. The sins that we commit are really not us committing them in our new person, our new identity in Christ. Sins are like a, well, like barnacles on a ship. They don't really belong to the ship. Like a squatter on a house, they don't legally belong there. When God looks at us, he looks at the righteousness which is legally ours, the righteousness of Christ. And one day when we are glorified, when sin, when this old body is a thing of the past, we will be seen for who we really are now in Christ. Just as Jesus was transfigured on the the Mount of Transfiguration, we too will be transfigured, glorified. We have received new life and we have received the promise of a new body, a new eternity. And that is totally assured. None of us can ever deserve this. None of us can ever be good enough to get into heaven by keeping the law. And yet none of us is bad enough to ever be barred getting there by God's grace. There's nothing that we can do that could stop us from being forgiven if we turn to God through faith in Christ. And once we've done that, there's no sins that can keep us from going there. He will make sure that we walk with him. Our sins are already forgiven on the cross. If we're trying to keep God's law, we might have come to him by faith and received his gift of righteousness, but then sometimes we try and please him by law. We try and be legalistic and moralistic. We try and almost come back to God by law instead of walking in grace. Oh, we have to put that aside. We have to realize that that didn't work in the first place. Let's not go back there. Trying to be legalistic is not the way. Okay, yeah, we should keep God's law, but not legalistically. We should keep it out of thanks. We should keep it 
in his strength, by his grace. If you feel you have failed, well, Jesus ever intercedes for us. He applies the cross again to us. We will never lose our righteousness in Christ. But we can improve our daily walk with him. In terms of getting to heaven, it's not by merit, not by keeping the law. It's by grace. Mark Twain once said, heaven goes by favor, that is by grace. If it went by merit or by law, you would stay out, but your dog would get in. (laughs) If we're trying to get into heaven by merit, by keeping the law, we won't get there because we've sinned. But if dogs who have never sinned, well, I'm sorry if anybody thinks their dogs won't be in heaven. (laughs) Dogs don't have an eternal soul. But if they did, they would get there because they haven't sinned. That's Mark Twain's point. That if we're trying to get into heaven by keeping God's law, the animals will get there before us. We will never get in. But we do get there by his grace. This tax collector went home justified. Imagine the joy. Imagine the peace. The burden lifted. The the freedom of a new relationship with God. It would have been great to be able to see what this person would have been like. We know it's only a parable, but so many of us have lived this out in real life. We have this joy. We have this peace with God. Let's walk in the peace of his grace. Let's walk in the joy of his grace. And let's, although our relationship with God is not defined by keeping the law, let's please him by doing the things that the law requires. Because we can keep the righteous requirements of the law by the power of the Spirit working in us. John 3.16 For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He doesn't say that everyone who is good enough or tries hard and believes as well but so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Let's praise God for such great salvation. Lord, we thank you for your immense love for us that while we were still sinners Christ died for us Lord we thank you for the grace we have received for the eternal life which is ours the inheritance to come all by your grace Lord we pray that we will be able to share this message with others that they will see their eyes will be opened And even no matter how good they have been, Lord, that they will not be like tax collectors, be like Pharisees, but Lord, that even though they may have been worse than anyone else they know, like the tax collector, Lord, that, that they will come to you by grace and place their faith in your mercy and Jesus' blood shed on the cross for them. Lord, we ask that people will understand this place their faith in you 
And help us, Lord, to give you more thanks and more praise for all you have done for us, your love and your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.